Amen. <clears throat> Thank you, Jill, for leading us in prayer and reminding us of what the Word says about godly wisdom. Do you have your Bible? We're looking at confident faith, and uh, that is the theme of this study through the book of 1 John. I'm glad you're here today, and welcome. We are so glad to have you in our services today. Students, man, it's fantastic. I understand you've had a great D-Now weekend, and leaders, workers, and those uh, host homes and families, we are so grateful for our student ministry and those who serve. Amen. We're glad. Awesome. We're so grateful for you. Also, I'll tell you what, it's good to see people back for the first time or people have been gone, or, uh, but uh, my heart is rejoicing to see Nan Stogsdale in worship with us today. And Nan, we have missed you. And I'm going to ask this dear white-headed woman right back here in the back to stand up so you can see her. She is one of our mothers in this church, and I thank the Lord for her and her faithfulness. This is her heart. She said, we found Lyla and where she's at, and we're going to go see her today and visit her in another uh, assisted living place. And so she is on mission, and uh, it's in her heart, Nan, that makes me happy. Amen. God bless you. First John chapter 2, verse 12. I'm writing to you, little children, since your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you've come to know the one who's from the beginning. And I'm writing to you, young men, because you've conquered the evil one. I've written to you, children, because you've come to know the Father. I've written to you, fathers, because you've come to know the one who's from the beginning. I've written to you, young men, because you are strong. God's word remains in you, and you have conquered the evil one. Huh. Now, as we look at this, today we're going to think about progress in your spiritual life, development in your spiritual life. And so we notice here, there's identified in this text, little children and fathers and young men. And so we want to look at this development in our spiritual life and uh, think about that together. I was just last week, took some time off, went to go see my son who lives in Cincinnati and took him on a golf trip to, and as part of his birthday celebration. And so we uh, took a few days off of vacation. While we were there, I got to spend a little bit of time with our grandchildren that live in Cincinnati. We haven't seen, I haven't seen them since um, Christmas. And they didn't come here. They haven't been in our home for almost a year. And so because of COVID. And so we got to go see them at a little bit of Christmas, only for a day or so. And then we uh, got to see them some this week. Oh, we were celebrating in their life and development. My little granddaughter, Claire, can't she has a trip. She couldn't wait to get in my life, four years old, and just talk, 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 talk. Show me all of her stuff, what she's coloring, what she's into, and all, playing Barbies with her. It's awesome. And she's learned to play checkers. It's fun to play checkers, but she cheats. And so anyway, uh, I didn't really lose. She cheated. And so anyway, uh, it, it's fun. And so it was so, but then Ryan and he's playing ball in the yard and, and then they're talking about school and they're in a new school where they can be in person and they're learning and what they're learning and, and, 
And Brooke is our tall, growing up, nine-year-old granddaughter, our oldest grandchild. She's talking about school and what she's doing and, and soccer teams that she's involved in. And <clears throat> it was just great. And uh, writing and learning and developing, it was great. So then we come home, but we celebrate. We celebrated in their development and their progress, but we get home. Andrew had played a video, and he and Lindsay of Evie, and, and little Evie, Evangeline, she, she's our newest grandchild, just four months old. And they had a video of her that she rolled over. She's the smartest little girl in all the world. She rolled over. <laughs> on her own, she rolled over. Now, Jojo, she's developing too. She's crawling everywhere, pulling up on stuff, into things, holds her own bottle. Evie can't do that yet. And Evie can't play soccer. So she's kind of behind, right? No, no, no. She's right where she should be. Because Jojo's nine months old. Evie's only four months old. But that's a big difference. And Brooke, she's nine years old. But they're all progressing as we watch them progress. We celebrate because they're growing and maturing and developing. God wants to do the same thing in us spiritually. Moving us, progressively moving, changing, developing us in our lives. And so here, John identifies, he says, little children. Now, he often uses the word little children, so in a way, he addresses everybody as little children, but there is this sense of development. And notice in verse number 12, I'm writing to you, little children. Why? Because your sins are forgiven on account of his names. What are some of the characteristics of God's children? Number one characteristic, your sins are forgiven. You're not a child of God if your sins are not forgiven. But if you are a child of God, your sins are forgiven. Verse number 12, why are they forgiven? They're forgiven on account of his names. First of all, you have a sin problem. Anybody agree with us? Tell, you, tell your neighbor, you've got a sin problem. You do. We all do. We all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Bible says there's no one, not one of us are righteous. No, not one. If we say we haven't sinned, he says we deceive ourselves and the truth's not in us. So we've all sinned and fallen short of his glory. And sin means rebellion. Anybody got rebel in your heart? Almost all of us do. All of us do. It's that kicking against authority. And we fall short of God's ideal in our life. And there's this twisted iniquity that is in us. And it's caused because of our transgression and because of this inherited sin nature that causes us to be messed up inside. Tell your neighbor you're messed up inside. You are. Some of you are really messed up. And here's what the Bible says. Listen to me. That's, this sin is transgression. Now, that's a big $20 word. And transgression really means that I'm a lawbreaker. I'm going against the law. And so we need forgiveness. And he says, your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. The word forgiven means your sins are covered. Not only they're covered, they're removed. Not only they're removed, they're paid for. 
And he took the handwriting that was outstanding against us, the certificates of debt that we owed, the sin and the guilt charges that are ours, and he nailed them to the cross and paid for them in full. Hallelujah. And he did this on account of his name. He didn't do it because of your good works or because you deserve it. He didn't do it because you're just so handsome. He did it because of the name of Jesus. And he did it for his name and he did it by his name. And that's why we're forgiven, because of his name. And that's how we're forgiven, because of his name. You are a child of God. When you, when you not only, this is the second characteristics of a child, you not only your sins are forgiven, but you become his child. When you receive Jesus Christ, you become a child of God. John chapter 1 verse 12 says, but as many as received him, to them he became the children of God. Listen to look at the scripture. But to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to become the children of God. To those who believe in his name. Have you put your faith and your trust in his name? Then you become a child of God. You are now a child of God. And you're a child of God by his doing. You're adopted into his family, and you've got a brand new identity. You once were, in the book of Ephesians, children of wrath, but now he's shown you this great mercy, and you're children of God. Wow. And you've been born again. This is what we call new birth, regeneration. He didn't just paint up the old life and make it kind of look better. He caused you to be born anew. Change, transformed. First Peter chapter number one. First Peter chapter number one. And listen to the scripture, verse number three. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus, because of his great mercy, he has given us what? New birth. Into what? A living hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You've been born again into a new, with a new life and a living hope that's resurrection life in you. Verse number 23, 1 Peter 1, verse 23, because you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but imperishable. How? Through the living and enduring word of God. It's God's word. You heard the gospel. You believed the gospel. You were transformed by the Spirit of God, causing you to be born anew. This is what theologians call regeneration. You, you, you're born, you, you're moved from out of death into brand new life. And you're born again. Wow. That is awesome. You say, Pastor, can that happen to me? Yes. All who turn from sin and trust in Jesus alone have new birth. All of a sudden you see your sin, you see your brokenness, and you see God's Son, and you see God's love, and you see Jesus, the perfect man, and you see that he died for your sins, and you want him, desire to know him, and you turn from your sin, and you trust in him, and you are born again. It's a miracle. 
You can't cause yourself to be born again. It's His work in you. All the glory goes to Him. Amen. Not only that, as a child of God, you belong to a family. So we have a father, and we share this heavenly father, and we, are, and we have brothers and sisters in this family. Yesterday, I was talking to Neil, our bass guitar player, and I love him so much, Shank, and Neil Shank, and I, I said, oh, man, I just love you so much. I thank God for you. He said, man, I love you too. And he said, I, he said, I love it when you talk about your dad. I said, I know. I said, you know what? We got the same heavenly father, and we are brothers. He said, we are brothers. We are. Let me tell you something. You belong to God's family. When you become a child of God, you are a part of a family. You're not a guest. You're not an out-of-town Guest, you're not a cousin Eddie showing up. <laughs> you are wanted and you belong, and you're a part of the family of God. You're not some black sheep, you belong to God's family. Amen. This is part of our identity. One of the things that's so important is when you become a Christian then not only Christ comes into your life, but you are planted into a family. Without having good family, then you, you don't have identity. And without family, then you have confusion about who you are. But in a family is where you learn about your role, is where you learn to serve, where you learn to grow, where you learn to develop. God's plan in our physical living, in our social living, are for babies to be born in a family. And God's plan for all of his spiritual children to be a part of a family. And that's the church of Jesus Christ. What is God's plans for children? Oh, I'm glad you asked. That we grow toward maturity. God's plan is that we progress, that we develop, that we grow and become men and women. That we are sons and daughters of God. And we know who we are. And we start looking more like, look acting more like Jesus Christ. God's perfect son. What provision has God given us for as children so that we might grow and progress and develop? Well, that's important. Has he provided for our so his, What has he provided for us to be able to grow? In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse number 2, look with me. Like newborn infants, desire the pure milk of the word that by it you may grow into your salvation if you've tasted that the Lord is good. Notice long for, desire, the pure milk of the word. The Lord has put a spiritual hunger within your heart for the milk of God's holy word. When little babies are born, they have a hunger to nurse. When the babies begin to nurse, they receive nourishment. And even though they can't communicate about a lot of things, Every few hours or less, they're waking you up saying, ah, ah, why? 
feed me or change something below. All right. And so there were and they that hunger is in them. And God has put a hunger. If you don't have a desire for God's word, check and make sure you've come to know the Lord. And that hunger is to understand. By the way, the Bible's not a closed book. It's an open book. And it's the word of God and it's nourishment to your soul. And it feeds you and grows you. This isn't just for priests or pastors. It's for all of us that we might grow in knowledge of God and God can transform us. Not only does he give us food, but he gives us faith. He gives us faith to believe God, know God, walk with God. That faith is evidenced in generations often in our life. In the book of 2 Timothy, I read this passage earlier today, but I just went over this very passage with, with our families. They're committing their and parent-child dedication coming up. In, in 2 Timothy, Paul is reminding Timothy about his faith. And he says, remembering your tears in verse 4, I long to see you. Timothy was Paul's son, not, not in the physical sense, in a spiritual sense. He was his son in the ministry. And he says, I recall your sincere faith, verse number 5. 2 Timothy 1.5, and I recall your sincere faith. And he says that faith first lived, now say it with me, the faith first lived in your grandmother, what's her name? Lois. And in your mother, what's her name? There's a couple baby names in case you need. All right, Lois and Eunice, all right? And notice this sincere faith in grandmother, what's her name? And what's the mother's name? And now I'm convinced is where? You also. Therefore, I remind you to rekindle the gift of God that is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but one of power, love, and sound judgment. What he's saying is, there's faith in you. I first saw that faith in your grandmother, where she trusted in God, relied on God, prayed to God, believed God. But it was also in your mom. And they went through the trials and tests of life, and your parents stood strong, your grandmother and your mother. And Tim, I know it's in you too. It's the work of God in you. My father tells a story about his mom. I, I had the privilege to know my grandmother. I'm so blessed. I, 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 my grandmother actually um, got to see one of our babies born. That's kind of an amazing thing because my dad was born late, in, what they call late in life. You know what that means? Grandpa was 49 years old when my dad was born. My grandmother was 47. Just think about that, women. All right. Mm -hmm. Oops. (laughs) And Dad said some of the fondest memories I have, some of the sweetest memories of my life is my mom had me on her lap. And would read me the Bible. And she'd start talking about Jesus. And she would weep as she read about how they crucified him. And my dad read to me all the time. And he used to read the Bible to us. And he would weep as he read the word. And my dad still reads and quotes scripture and 
tells scripture stories with my children. And I do with my children. And my children now with their children. And this is the grace of God. Let me say this to you. Listen closely to me. There is no greater gift you can give your children than for you to have faith in Jesus Christ and to walk with him. The greatest gift you'll give your children. I was talking to my son who's very successful. They live in a very successful neighborhood, a very successful, beautiful home. They are privileged in many ways. And I said, son, you can give your kids everything. You can give them the finest schools, and you can give them finest clothes, and you can make sure they have the finest friends, and you can join the finest clubs. But if they don't come to know Jesus Christ, they're lost, and you have failed. So I don't care what designer clothes you wear. If your heart doesn't know Jesus, you're lost. And you're a beggar in need. And you've given us family. First Timothy chapter one, verse number eighteen. Paul addresses Timothy and as a as a son in the ministry, and, and, and he speaks to him. He he says, Timothy, my son. I'm giving you this instruction in keeping with the prophecies previously made about you so that by recalling them, you may fight the good fight, having faith and a good conscience. And some have rejected and shipwrecked the faith. Among them, Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I've delivered to Satan that they may be taught not to blaspheme. He said, Timothy, you've been given mentors and elders and teachers and instructors and parents spiritually, parent, spiritual parents. You've learned to trust and obey and to listen and to learn and to follow. And Timothy, you keep following the Lord. Don't shipwreck the faith like some are doing. The challenge of childhood is the childhood sometimes all about me. Immaturity is all about me. You can tell when we speak immaturely. It's about my rights, my happiness, my satisfaction, my agenda, my wants. But when you come to know the Lord, he begins to change us and mature us. That it's not all about me. It's about the Lord. The second level of progression is not only childhood, but you move into Young adulthood, strong adulthood. Notice in the passage of Scripture in John, he says in verse number 13, I'm writing to you young men because you've conquered the evil one. Later he says in verse number 14, I've written to you young men because you're strong in God's word abides, remains, dwells in you. And you've conquered the evil one. 
One of the things that happens in the progression of spiritual life, you're not living and fighting the same small battles all the time that you do. You're seeing victory in your life. And a characteristic of young adulthood is strength. You are strong. You're filled with strength. There's power in your life spiritually. And that power comes because you're engaged. You're engaged in the warfare. You're engaged in the battle. You're engaged in this this thing that God has called us to, a spiritual warfare, and you're engaged. You're exercising and disciplining yourself for the purpose of godliness. And the source of your strength is the abiding Word of God in your life, His presence. And it's His power that is in you. In the book of Colossians, chapter number 1, do you have your Bible? Look with me to the book of Colossians, chapter number 1. Listen closely to Paul's words. Colossians chapter number 1, verse number 28. We proclaim him, Paul writes, warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone, now notice, everyone, what? Mature in Christ. The aim of Paul was to proclaim, to warn, to teach with wisdom. Jill talked about that. That we may present everyone, what? Mature in Christ. And I labor for this. I work hard at this. I sweat at this. And I strive, I grapple, I wrestle with this. And I wrestle with the strength that works, this energy that's powerfully working inside of me. The source of strength for these young adults that John's talking about is the strength of God's Holy Spirit working inside of us in the ministry that God's called us to. And you're strong. Because you're filled with the Spirit. You're filled with the Word of God. And you're overcoming the evil one. You're standing strong in the strength of His might. And the evil one is being defeated in your life. Now listen, this should not be an anomaly. This should be the the progression. You are growing from infancy and growing toward adulthood. And God's plan for you is to be an overcomer. And not live defeated as a victim in this spiritual life. Can somebody say amen? Amen. What kind of gospel would that be? That we'd say pray some prayer in a track or whatever. And say that we're Christians get dipped in a tank or a pond. But you you don't live any changed life. That's not God's plan. God's plan is transform you. To make you a man and woman of God. They're also faithful and active in the family of God. This is what they do. Characteristics of young adults, they're strong. Number two, they're overcomers. Number three, they're faithful and active in the family of God. They know their role. Eric Erickson talked about in personal person development. He said one of the issues that young adults face in the median in their life is intimacy versus isolation. His point is... 
whether you develop intimate relationships or whether you isolate yourself from other people. That is a temptation that comes to us. Am I going to be intimate? That means, am I going to share my life with others? Am I going to be known? Am I going to share my life? That's where strength comes from. That's why every one of you in this room needs to be a part of a community group in our church where you're sharing your life with other people. You're sharing your story. You're sharing your struggles. You're sharing about your victories. You're praying for one another, encouraging one another, sharing your sorrows and celebrating in life together. It strengthens you. And then the other characteristics of young adults is you're working toward the advancement of the kingdom. You're using your gifts, you're a part of the body of Christ, you serve other people, and you're using your talents and your ability and your personality because this is what young, strong young adults do in the life of the church. They belong, they celebrate in what God is doing, they're at work at what God has called them to do, and they, they are a part of the body of Christ, and they're winning. They're winning. And they're seeing Satan defeated and lives transformed. What's the provision that God gives for these young adults? The Word of God that abides in you. God's Holy Spirit filling you. The Bible says don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Colossians says it differently. Sisters, a sister book to Ephesians. It says let the Word of Christ richly dwell in you. John says that they have the Word of God, they're abiding, and the Word of God abides in them. It's powerful. It's working in you. God abides, dwells in us. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask what you will, and it will be done for you. <laughs> Those are overcoming relationships. Amen? Finally, their spiritual parenting is another role, is a characteristic of a parent. And, and notice in this passage of Scripture, there are fathers. He returns to these fathers. These are parents. What are characteristics of parents? Well, number one, if you're a parent, you have children. It's hard to be a parent without children. They reproduce. They tell others about Christ. They are not only reproduced, they're involved with their children. Spiritually. You're, they're, God's plan, it's not baby daddies. They're MIA. But we're involved as parents. You know the Lord deeply. They know him. And they're making him known. That's what parents are. And they're parenting. They're engaged in the lives of others. 1 Corinthians chapter number 4 gives us an illustration of this parenting process within the church. And I know you were begging to read this, so I want to direct you there. Seriously. Chapter 4, verse 14. I'm not writing this to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. Paul calls them children, but I'm warning you. 
For you may have countless instructors, professors, teachers in Christ, but you don't have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you, imitate me. Now this is why I sent Timothy to you. He's my dearly loved and faithful child in the Lord. And he'll remind you about my ways in Christ Jesus. Just as I teach everywhere in every church. This is what spiritual fathers do. Spiritual, they have, they, they, spiritual parents confront. Spiritual parents warn. Spiritual parents encourage. Spiritual parents exhort. Spiritual parents model. Spiritual parents enlist others, invest in others, and send others. That's what spiritual parents do. Listen to me. Spiritual parenting is not for the faint of heart. And spiritual parenting does not happen laissez-faire. You are in the battle for souls and lives. And we need parents in this church. We need elders that are elders. I'm not talking about old people with gray hair. I'm talking about people that walk with God, know God. We need older women that are pouring their lives into younger women, not sitting on the bench. We need older women that are teaching younger women about their home and their family and rearing their children and loving their husbands and being godly women. And we need older men that are pouring their life into younger men. Why do we need this more than anything? Because the nuclear home has been destroyed. And the church of Jesus Christ needs to be filled with stability and men of God and women of God that are pouring their life into others. We need churchmen that are true to the faith, mentors to boys and men and young women. And we need people that are older in the faith not to quit before the finish line. I get so sick and tired of this retirement mentality. I just let that next generation do it. I've done my part. Where in the world is that fit in the Word of God? My dad's 85 years old. You want to know where he's at right now today? Preaching the word of God in a local church. Every Sunday. Can't see. He's blind. Can't drive. But there's a burning passion. Now you can quit down at the factory. That's okay. You can quit whenever you think you can. You quit. I'm all for it. But don't you quit God's call on your life. Now, Pastor, when are you going to retire? When they lay my dead bones in the ground, that's when I'm going to quit. Amen. I'm not done. I only get one thing. I only got one this long. I got this one life. And I want to live it to the glory of God. 
And God's provision for us, when you're on ministry doing what he called you to do, he said, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. That's his provision for us. I'm with you. Finally, there's a warning, and this warning is found in the Word, and I'm going to have to be brief. Here's one of the saddest things that can happen. You can, and this has, we've seen it happen, and it's terribly sad. Someone who once grew and once was strong and once was serving and once was evangelizing and once was discipling. Regress. And the movement of regression takes them back where they're no longer faithful, no longer serving, and they begin to act almost infantile. It's not natural. And the source of this is worldliness in our life. In the second chapter, the next verse after what I read, in 1 John 2.15, do not love the world or the things in the world. And if you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you. Verse 17 the world with its lust is passing away, but the one who does the will of God remains forever. He's warning us about worldliness, and worldliness holds us back, hurts us. Paul says something very similar. Notice the connection. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1, he says, For my part, brothers, I was not able to speak to you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh babies in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid fruit. If you're not able, you're not ready for it. In fact, you're still not ready because you're still what? Worldly. There's envy and strife. Are you not worldly behaving like humans? You're filled with politics and division and strife, your own wants and desires. Hebrews chapter number 5. Listen to what the scripture says. Hebrews chapter number 5. We've got a great deal to say about this, but it's difficult to explain since you've become too lazy to understand. Although by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the basic principles of God's revelation again. Why? You need milk, not solid food. Why? Now, everyone who lives on milk is inexperienced with a message about righteousness because he's an infant, but solid food is for the mature. For those who have their senses, whose senses have been trained to distinguish between good and evil. They're lazy spiritually. They've regressed. It's sad. My daughter Brooke, which I, my granddaughter Brooke, which I talked about earlier, she's nine years old. Beautiful little thing. She's growing and developing. She plays on two soccer teams. She read me some poetry. She wrote. She's learning piano. She's developing. What if that changes? How sad would it be that if? 
something began to develop and she's not speaking in complex sentences? And what if she just starts using baby words? And what if she no longer can play the piano? And what if she can't run and she can barely walk? And what if she quit walking and she could only crawl and she crawled like a baby? And what if she wouldn't eat and she had to be fed with a bottle? She's nine. And what if she couldn't dress herself? And what if she needed diapers again? She's nine. How sad would it be? And I submit to you, it's no less sad to see once people who are on strong become infants. The warning signs of this infancy is that you neglect the fellowship of the church. This pandemic has hurt us in deeper ways. It's exposed weaknesses. You abandon disciplines in your life. You're reading, you're praying, you're giving, you're worshiping. You refuse to serve and you won't use your gifts any longer. And you focus on your own self-righteousness so you're more judgmental. And you've lost your joy. That's a warning sign. And you value the world's values. And in the end of your life, you have to evaluate your life and say, did I live my life? Did I live my life to the glory of God? All the way to the end. Paul was writing toward the very end of his life. He writes to Tim, his son. The time of my departure has come. But I have fought the good fight. And I finished the course. And I've kept the faith. And I know there's a crown of righteousness awaiting me that will be awarded to me on that day. But not only to me, but to all who love his appearing. Let's live to him to the very end. Amen? Amen. Where are you at today? Where are you at in your life spiritually? Father in heaven, have your way in our lives. In Jesus' name I pray.